Welcome to Forging Plowshares. We hope you enjoy this conversation and are challenged by it. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. I am here today with a panel of world-renowned experts that address issues that have unfolding recently. Jason, John, and Megan, friends and part participants in Forging Plowshares. Jason, uh, I'm wondering if you want to jump in on the, the, the same question that I gave to John. Well, that was a while ago, and I'm having trouble, trouble remembering what it was. The theological, you know, what is it that has happened theologically that has given rise to this political and cultural moment, especially as it relates to, in other words, if I had, if you had to name stupid <laughs> at this moment, where's the source of the stupidity? And I think I can say this, you know, as because I'm, I'm one of them. I am a Christian. I think it's conservative Christianity that is the source, uh, a key source, not a simply the only source, but the key base for stupidity at this moment. I wonder why. Well, I don't know that I would agree with that 100% because I've spent some time in my church odyssey in conservative and liberal churches, and I, th- I think that there's adequate failures in both. And part of part of the problem, I think, there goes back to the identity thing. I don't mean to ride this one pony the whole way through the conversation, but that when identifying ourselves as a conservative or as a liberal, we're already falling into the same lie. And Megan hit it, it, it earlier, you know, what, and I thought, and I even put it in a little chat note here. That's perfect. That really, what we're supposed, what the gospel is supposed to do, is identify us with Jesus. And that really is, uh, to me, that's the anchor. Otherwise, you're really floating with whatever the culture is doing. And I think, for me, the question isn't has never really been, how are we going to fix this in the church? For me, the question is, what is the church? And what isn't the church? Because I don't know, well, let me put it this way. I'm, I feel confident that most of what calls itself the church is anything but, is actually just a religious expression of the same cultural problems that people can identify themselves with. And then the whole task of that church then is to reaffirm your identity as that thing. So I go to church uh, to remind myself, you know, why I'm a conservative and and to feel a certain way rather than to be a part of a a counter, a radical countercultural, counter-religious kind of thing. And the church just becomes another institution of the culture. This is, where my opinion is going to be the minority one here. And that is that I am not convinced. And I got, I kind of got what John, you were kind of referred to something momentarily. I got what I think you were hitting on, but I think that what Jesus was saying with the, the idea about the narrow way and the mm-hmm. small gate is that most folks are going to reject this. I think they're going to reject it because it doesn't look like what they think is going to save them. The the appeal of a Donald Trump had nothing to do with whether or not people thought he was telling the truth. It had everything to do with them finding somebody who they thought was strong enough to get them what they wanted and to support their particular identity. The, The fact that Christians, that people that call themselves the church, bought into Donald Trump because he was going to give them more power indicates to me that they have no idea 
that the call of the gospel is to relinquish power. It's so that what they're actually doing is the opposite of Christianity. It is the opposite of the church. And that's why to support this, what I've been trying to say is to support this means you have fundamentally rejected the Jesus of the Gospels. And, and for that matter, the New Testament. That's why you're here, Jason, to keep us on the street. <laughs> well, it, I don't know that. I've, ultimately, uh, anytime we start talking about, well, you know, what could we do if the church would just do X, Y, Z? Well, the church does X, Y, Z. That's what makes it the church. Mm-hmm. Anything that's not doing that is not the church. Yeah. And, and this is, I, I got at a point um, some time ago, I, I tried to get at a point in an article that the, the substance is, the form is right. the substance. That you you can't be a Christian without doing Christianity mm-hmm. because doing it is being it. That if it's if you're not doing it, you're not it. Mm-hmm. So essentially, yeah. the issue with Christian theology is that most of what gets passed off as Christian theology is is not. It's just a religious expression of the cultural problems, and that I think you can trace throughout the history of the mm-hmm. church. That as soon as the church benefits from the culture, that it no longer functions as the church because it's just another expression of the culture. That certainly accords. I did a little thing with James today, just his take on wisdom. And he's very sharp in the divide, very much in the way you are. But he concludes the the section in chapter 3, the method is peace and the goal is peace. That's the kind of, you know, and that is then connected with righteousness, and righteousness, of course, is the whole point. Yeah, I was just going to say, from what Jason was saying, it instantly made me think that same sort of thing was happening while Jesus was doing his ministry. Like, how many times did the disciples look at him and go, okay, so, like, when are you going to be on the throne? When are we going to overthrow Rome? When are we going to get rid of Herod? Like, all those kinds of things. And every single time Jesus would look at them and go, were you not listening at all? You know, like, and he continued to have to show literally up to the moment that he dies and rises again, that he was never about bringing about earthly power for himself or his followers, because he doesn't need that. He already has that. And that the whole goal of his kingdom is not that you have more power, but that you are a servant to everyone around you. And not in a like, oh, just let people walk over me. I'm just a rug kind of a servant but that it's a radical kind of love right. and of seeing even your enemies as potential brothers and friends. Yeah. The cross bearing. And Megan, if you don't mind, if I tack a piece to that, that one of the stories that, that gets me, that makes me think is um, the rich man that comes to him and says, well, I want to, I want to be in the kingdom. And Jesus says, and you're right. Like the disciples frequently, they just weren't getting it right. They just, couldn't escape this prevailing mentality. But then the rich young man comes along and says, you know, what do I need to do to be a part of the kingdom? And he just says, well, obviously you need to get rid of the the things that make you powerful, that your power. So sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come and follow. And the story, of course, is the man said, no, I won't do that. And you know what, what somebody once told me, you know, what does Jesus do next? Does he chase him down and say, um, no, no, you just don't understand. If you just understood, 
No, he, he acknowledges that this man has rejected the kingdom. And the simple truth is yeah. that this is, uh, I think the, the kingdom of God is so antithetical to the way people, to what people want, that it's, it's always going to be uh, this very small thing that works out through these very small ways. I think it seems so much harder than it actually is because we look at the things that Jesus asked us to do and it seems insurmountable. Like, you mean I have to give up my unforgiveness? I have to give up my hate? I have to give up my selfishness and my greed and all those things? We sometimes forget we have the spirit that helps us do it too. And it is entirely possible to do, but it is going to require still a lot of sacrifice and a lot of just doing it, like practicing what Christ preached. And for whatever reason, that's not popular in most versions of the church. I've been a Christian my entire life, pretty much, and I've gone to all kinds of different churches. I went to Bible college. I went to, I've been to seminary. I haven't finished at seminary, but I mean, I've seen so many different versions of Christianity, versions of the church and all of that. And the one thing that continues to be mind-boggling is how many people profess to know Jesus, but prove by their actions they don't really know the Jesus that's found in Scripture, even though they say, we're really into Scripture. And I'm not sure how there's such a disconnect between what's preached and what's practiced in churches and amongst the body of Christ and what it actually means to follow Christ. Because you see people doing it. There are people out there, but they seem to be such a smaller group than you would expect. I'm not entirely sure how we change hearts and minds to kind of get excited about maturing and giving up all these other things that could be your identity and giving up your expectation of man to fix things and having to place your hope and trust in yourself or someone else and instead to choose to follow Christ, even if it is something super radical or even if it's just a simple daily, you know, dying to self and doing the things he asked you to do instead of trying to make yourself seem more important or you know more key to the story yeah i I think that what we're what we're you're getting at is uh, the cross is an is an emptying i I see that the way jesus interacts with pharisees and sadducees i i've always made the connection pharisees as being conservative religious sadducees as being liberal religious you know zealots as being political conservative and Herodians as being political liberal, you know, they all hated Jesus and he was hard on all of them. When he got at the Pharisees and the, and the zealots, they wouldn't let go of their own self-righteousness and their own identity as being, they were the the self-righteous, right? I mean, but there's a, there's a benefit to being that. And that, that is that, well, we're already in where these people and these other ones are the enemies. And there's a lot of security I think that a lot of folks that turn to religion are really seeking a sense of security. They're not really seeking a sense of what's going to make the world better, which is what the kingdom is an attempt to do, the make the world better. No, all I want to do is feel secure. Make me feel secure. Which makes me kind of think one of the major expressions of Christianity in the United States, at least as long as I've been alive, is the whole, are you saved? You know, Mm -hmm. if you died today, where would you go? Where are you going? Yeah. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like the beginning question we ask people when we want to talk about our faith and talk about Christianity is to instantly question their final security and to give them a sense of urgency of like, well, you need to get this figured out now. Or like, are you in or aren't you in? When in reality, 
I'm not sure that's what Jesus was asking people when he said, will you come and follow me? Yeah, he never did, did he? No. And I think maybe that's part of the mistake we make when we're doing Christianity, when we're doing church. We've placed all this emphasis on security. Jesus never once said, like, your security is because of the Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit in you, and the Holy Spirit will continue to remind you of who you are and who you've been created to be, and that God's love is in you. You have his forgiveness, all of those kinds of things. You don't have to try to find security in some other external thing or to make yourself more secure. And that's not supposed to be your focus as a Christian. Your focus is supposed to be on being the kingdom, loving others, bringing people in, in to see Jesus and to meet this, you know, kind of crazy, like, life of grace and love. You're supposed to be about feeding the poor and taking care of widows and orphans and even being willing to fraternize with people that are considered your enemies because that's what Christ did for us. I think maybe we need to ask ourselves better questions not only as Christians but get better at asking questions of people who maybe aren't Christians yet or maybe kind of on the fence because if the best we have to offer is well at least you won't go to hell when you die I'm not sure that really is enough to kind of come up to the full glory of what the gospel really is one of the biggest sources of evil that I see that Christian that people that call themselves Christian participate in is when they hang on to safety and security at the cost of someone else. One of the telltale pieces here of this is how much of the support for the right that has come from Christians has been the willingness to put someone else on the cross in order to protect their sense of security and safety. It's the same as when, you know, you're getting tossed out of a, of a job or tossed out of a place and all your friends keep their mouths shut as you're on your way out. Um, it's an unwillingness to bear the cross. And what makes the world better, I think, in the kingdom is the willingness to, when people are willing to bear the cross, then the person that's bearing the cross isn't alone like Jesus was. That we bear the cross together. And so doing, we're freed from trying to put other people on crosses in order to, to make ourselves to make ourselves safe and secure. Yeah. Well, and I think what he tells them to do, I think there's an inherent understanding, like maybe you don't consciously know it, but I think people feel it in their spirit, that in order to love God and love other people, you're going to have to give up a lot of stuff that currently makes you very comfortable. Exactly. You know, you're going to have to give up your selfishness and your pride. Exactly. Um your way of doing things, even your way of understanding things. And you're going to have to allow yourself to be vulnerable both to God and to other people in the cause of love. And that's super scary when you think about it. It makes me think of, uh, I was listening to a painful interview the other day. Uh, some guy were interviewing David Bentley Hart. He goes, well, let's just imagine for a moment Jesus might have known something about Christianity. Hmm. And when he's asked... What must I do to find salvation? His answer is to love God and love your neighbor, which you know doesn't sit with a lot of people very well. It doesn't sit with a lot of theology very well. Let's put it that way. Jesus told him to go do something. Yeah. <laughs> I think the hardest part in this moment, as we're watching all the stuff that's going on in our politics, as we watch the stuff that's going on in the church, even um, the whole 2020 pandemic and the protests that happened after George Floyd and all of that has caused a real reckoning within the church that's got as much chaos going on there as you see in the political sphere. The hardest part is recognizing we still have to love the stupid people that fell for stuff like conspiracy theories, you know, 
Like, there's so many times I sit here and I think about just how frustrated I am with people that I know that I used to respect that have fallen for all these crazy ideas and they're, you know, sharing them on Facebook and they're creating these like crazy echo chambers of just nonsense. And it's so easy to just be like, man, those people are idiots. Why do I even talk to them? I should just let them go and get lost and all that sort of thing. And, you know, there's a certain level of like healthy, like don't keep engaging with people if they, you know, cause you to sin. (laughs) But there's also a level of I have got to find love and forgiveness for them in my heart. And I cannot make an enemy out of other people because Christ would continue to try to forgive and he would continue to try to love and he would continue to try to call them to hey, there's a better way of doing things. You do not have to do it this way. And or he would not engage because those are the two things you see, you know, in his last moments before he's crucified on the cross. You know, he's very smartly engaging and kind of weirdly loving Pilate. He forgives the thief on the cross and or he just doesn't engage at all. And he doesn't put up with foolishness. Um, And I think that's the hard part in this season is knowing when do you engage? When do you not engage? But at the base level, always keeping a heart of, I can love these people. I can forgive these people. I can still hold them to account for the things that they've done and the things that they're saying, but I still have to not let them become my enemy and create hate in my heart and disturb my joy and my peace in my process of engaging with them. That's the insidiousness of it, Megan, is that even if you have a hand, I'm not saying that you know we know the solution. I think we're we're really knocking on the door, but even yeah. if you have a handle on what the problem is and, and what it is that Jesus identifies as the solution, we're still tempted to, to other them and to, and to find our identity and yeah. being the ones who are right. And now everybody else is on the other side and they're the real problem as opposed to the lie being the problem. That's that Ephesians 6. Uh, we don't you know, struggle against flesh and blood, but we struggle against principalities yeah. and powers. It also made me think of uh, Dr. Axton had us read a book. I'm sure John read it too. I don't think I was in the same class with him when we read it, but um, by Miroslav Volf called Exclusion and Embrace. And he talks about this tendency of victims and um, maybe persecutors. I don't remember what he calls them and then like kind of the hero of the story so like people that can kind of mediate between the two but he talks about how there's fluidity amongst those categories because a victim can become a perpetrator that's the other word and a perpetrator can become a victim and the person that thinks they're mediating in the group could become either of those two things as well and it doesn't take very much to tip the scale from i'm the person that is having injustice caused upon them to being the person that causes injustice And that takes a lot of self-reflection and a lot of very careful action. And I think it requires that kind of humility that only comes from the Spirit. And we haven't seen a lot of humility out of certain parts of the church in a very long time. Because humility is not cool. It's not fun. But it's also the only thing that will help change the world. The final question you've already answered, and that was that, you know, that there is kind of this unbreakable barrier. There's been a failure of communication. But I guess that in your description of love, of not identifying with a the Herodians, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, that there, there is the sense that we free ourselves up for love of other people. Yeah, it made me think of another great Stanley Harawas quote that uh, the real travesty of asking our young men and women to go off to war 
isn't that they might sacrifice themselves, but we're asking them to sacrifice somebody else for us. That is the, uh, the conclusion of James when he's describing wisdom. Everything that is over and against wisdom in just three or four verses, arrogance, pride, uh, you know, a, a kind of rivalry, jealousy, and the resolution to that, of course, is the, the humility, the, the capacity for listening. And so maybe that's the, the, that is itself a kind of hermeneutic uh, that we approach the world on is uh, a hermeneutic of humility. Yeah, I have uh, on my computer as a reminder for every time I get on Facebook or get on some kind of social media or even just send emails or whatever. I have that verse from James 1 about everyone must be quick to hear slow to speak and slow to get angry because it's so easy to get triggered by something that you see on social media because somebody you don't agree with did something stupid and now you feel like you have to like immediately respond to and there's maybe not as much grace in your tone because you're just responding out of the minute i think that was one of the things i was the most disappointed about with last week wasn't even just the whole taking of the Capitol building and all the kinds of stuff that happened. It was the response after, because you have all of these incredibly traumatized people that were nearly assassinated potentially, who then immediately start making policy decisions and getting up and giving speeches and all these kinds of things. And it's like, nobody even took a deep breath to say, thank God we're all still alive. You know, it was just that kind of immediate reaction. But I also can't really blame them for that because I would do the same thing. You know, I do do the same thing. I do it all the time. I think we all do. And I think that's maybe part of that, you know, be quick to hear and slow to speak, slow to get angry. Like, just take a moment, take a breath, reevaluate, you know, is this my anger talking? Is this my fear and frustration talking? Or is this a true, genuine concern for other people that's talking before, you know, I try to engage with other people? I'm glad you've said all of that. And as, as you're describing that, I'm thinking, boy, I sure, I sure had a, a lovely group of students. <laughs> <laughs> it all started with you, Paul. <laughs> yep. Uh, I was just thinking, we kind of got the band back together for a day. Like, this is what that... Yeah. yeah, this was fun. This was fun. Uh, this has been a great conversation. Yeah, yeah, no, that was good. Megan said that so well at the end. I was just sitting there kind of thinking, wow, that's... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that was that was perfect. That was perfect. <laughs> hey, uh, I appreciate you guys, and I'm glad that we're able to do this. I just think that that we have a forum here that uh, uh, in uh, the kind of community uh, that we can have this sort of conversation. And as we were having this, I, I keep thinking, boy, even even in this conversation, I I felt the iron sharpening iron, and. That uh, I, that there's ju it's just that you guys yeah. bring an insight that I think that uh, yeah. to me that uh, I, I think that I would be lacking. Well, thanks for having us. All right, great great conversation. Thank you for listening to this episode of Forging Plowshares. You can learn more and join our yeah. growing community by visiting forgingplowshares.org. Please consider supporting at Patreon.com/slash/PaulAxton or by donating at forgingplowshares.org slash donate.